with us. I don't, y'all know I don't call out people for over a decade, 15 years y'all were with us and moved away out of the will of God to McDonough. <laughs> but the, it's just, listen, there are people that are core part of your people and it's just a joy to have y'all today. Would y'all just honor them with a hand? Glad to have them back home today. Stand with me for the reading of God's Word, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Oh, yeah. Well, man. They say if you give the offering at the end, it's a lot less. It usually is. So will y'all give me a pass and those that we're going to give, you're going to give anyway, right? Okay. And those that weren't going to give, now you have to give. So it's, it's better. Okay. Second Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1, 12, 16, and 17. But understand this, that in the last days, the last days will come, they'll set in perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with, hard to bear. I'm reading out of the Amplified Version, by the way. Indeed, all who delight in piety and are determined to live a devoted and godly life in Christ Jesus will meet with persecution, will be made to suffer because of their religious stand. That was verse 12. Verse 16. Every scripture is God-breathed, given by His inspiration, and profitable for instruction, for reproof and conviction of sin, for correction of error, and discipline and obedience, and for training in righteousness, and holy living, and conformity to God's will and thought, purpose, and action. Verse 17. So that the man of God may be complete and proficient, well-fitted, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then in Proverbs 27, verse 12, if y'all will put that on the screen for me. Proverbs 27, verse 12. A prudent man foreseeth the evil that is coming, and he hides himself. He prepares himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. The premise of this message, and we will finish it today, uh, is uh, the prudent man in perilous times. We are to be both naturally and spiritually watching, no heads in the sand, watching what is happening in our nation on the geopolitical form and economically and prepare for the, prepare for the events that we see are coming. We're not going to just uh, be like the fool that just treads into it. We're not frantic, but we're preparing for what we see and spiritually being prepared a prudent man sees the trouble and prepares. And we talked last week about the perilous times that are coming in the spiritual realm. We know about the economic realm. We know about the geopolitical realm. But we're talking about the spiritual realm. And we talked about having discernment. And today, after I summarize point one, we'll go to point two, being preparation. I want us to be prudent, discerning, and prepared. So, matter, so no matter what comes our way. We are perfectly ready to give an answer to every man for the hope that's in our heart. Unwavering, unmovable, unshakable. I didn't say perfect. I said determined, confident, and articulate in our faith. Would you pray for me as I pray for myself this morning? Father, I just thank you for the grace that was applied to um, such a failure as myself. I thank you for the grace that restored those two that came this morning. 
And I thank you for the opportunity that's, to my, that's mine to preach your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me an anointing of your Holy Spirit, that I would be able to speak with clarity and an unction from heaven that would reach the inner man of every person here. Open up our eyes to see wondrous things out of your word, O oh Lord. Let it be plain to us. And give us the courage and the character to move on the things we see. To change the way we think if the scripture shows us. And if we change how we think and what we believe, we'll change our actions. For the glory of your son, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. By way of summary, real quick, last week I spoke about the prudent man being discerning. You are protected from deception by discernment. Jesus said, when they asked him, Master, what's the sign of thy coming and the end of the age? He replied, let no man deceive you. For many will come in my name and deceive many. They will come saying his name. Or they will come in his name saying they represent him or declaring themselves to be Christ. When you study prophecy, most people jump right to the Antichrist. But Jesus focused more on the birth pains before the great tribulation and the revealing of the Antichrist. And he said deception will be rampant. So the prudent man must be discerning to what it sounds like what it looks like, what it feels like. Now, we're not governed by feelings, but the Holy Spirit will quicken you and you'll feel a check. Y'all remember when people used to say that? You feel a check in your spirit. I may not be able to tell you why that's wrong, but I'm going to put that on hold till I check that out because that doesn't feel right in my heart. The discernment of the Holy Spirit can be a supernatural gift, the discerning of spirits, which allows a person to understand the origin of a thing, where that person's platform was birthed, where that person's teaching was birthed. They can discern back to the beginning when Jesus uh, told Simon Peter, when he tried to keep him from the cross, uh, he, he called him uh, the devil. He said, you have no part in me because the origin of those thoughts to keep Jesus from the cross, which redeemed mankind to God was satanic in nature. But we also have a discernment that comes from just being students of the word and attached to the vine. Listen to your pastor. Nearness to Jesus gives you discernment. Because you're thinking his thoughts. You're hearing the voice of the spirit. He that hath near, let him hear what the spirit is saying. And you, you have the mind of Christ and in the same way your arteries can be clogged in your physical body with cheese fries and other things and the blood can't get through there, in a way your spiritual arteries can be clogged with confusion and worthless things. And you want to have the sap of the Holy Spirit flowing freely through you. We need to be able to discern between false believers, tares, false teachers, false signs. Be careful in this last day. I believe the supernatural is going to be going crazy. Healers and, and miracles and, uh, and they name the name of Jesus, but it's a different Jesus. And you need to understand that all supernatural demonstrations are not divine demonstrations. And I've done talked it over with my wife and everything else. 
If all of a sudden someone comes on the scene and can heal you instantaneously, documented where doctors come up and said, this one had stage four cancer and he spoke the word and fire fell from heaven. We saw it. It's on film and knocked him to the ground and the cancer's gone. If they're not spirit-filled, born-again believers, you're not putting your hands on my wife or my babies or me. I'll, I'll take my chances with whatever card I'm dealt because I have a God that heals all my diseases and forgives all my iniquities. I, don't, don't be caught up with signs. And the Bible says that God himself is going to send strong delusion that people might be, believe lies because they love not the truth. We need to discern the spiritual dynamics between global events and leaders. Double speak. Uh, how does deception happen to genuine believers? How does someone that names the name of Christ, you know, they went to Sunday school when they were kids, they know some of the word of God. How does deception happen to them? Through the ignorance, questioning, and rejection of the truth of God's word. How could Eve be deceived in the Garden of Eden when there's been no sin before? She, by the way, parents, you need to give yourself a break. They were in the perfect environment. And if you provide your children the perfect environment, if they want to go crazy, they go crazy. So if God's children lost their mind, give yourself a break. You say, yeah, Garden of Eden, not me and your daddy provided Garden of Eden. Y'all are crazy children. You know. <laughs> but the devil came to Eve in the form of a serpent and he said, hath God said did God really say that you couldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You know that he knows that uh, the day you eat it, you will become like him. You, it'll make you wise. And when she began to question in her heart the word of God, well, Brother Wood, you say we're not supposed to question the word of God? Not in that way. We can go with honest questions to prove his word, not to prove it false. Hath God really said May, may I submit this to you? When I was growing up and you were in a conflict, a verbal argument with someone about money, math, politics, uh, spreadsheets, whatever, uh, crime, sins, there was a baseline of truth. And the person that could articulate from the baseline of truth the best won the argument. Today, there is no baseline of truth. There's no baseline. I can create my truth. I can decide what my truth is. And uh, we do that with the word of God. We do that with gender dysphoria. We do that with our... our <laughs> on television, they tell you how well our nation's doing and we're bankrupt like a thousand times over. And, you know, you've got to be able to discern between the double speak and these things. But when we question God's word on something, see, we have to have that baseline of truth so that we can navigate all of the different and various voices. Hath God said, you need to say, yes. How do I know that we can't uh, live in adultery? Because God said we should not commit adultery. How do we know that homosexuality is sin? Jesus never mentioned homosexuality. Quite frankly, yes, he did. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Jesus was the word of God. And all through the scripture, it speaks of it being an abomination. 
but so is fornication outside of marriage. How do you have a baseline of truth? We become deceived when we can question, dilute, or disassociate ourselves from the baseline of truth, and we can be deceived. We have to have a clear understanding and a commitment to the Word of God. If God says this, even if it assaults my feelings, even if it condemns myself or my friends, I bow my knee to the authority of Scripture and I adjust. I don't adjust the Word. That's good, Brother John. How does a Christian become deceived? Through distance or separation from the vine. Through unbridled lust. The love of self, pleasure, mammon, and temporal things. The devil, when he can get you to live un, with unbridled lust, it's, it's very easy after that when you make an allowance for the flesh to mistake a feeling or a blessing for God's approval. Well, if this is wrong, how can it feel so right? No, that's a Motown song. That's not scripture. <laughs> I can answer that question for you. If it's wrong, how can it feel so right? Because you're carnal. And because I'm carnal. And it appeals to our flesh. Uh, the, the things that are uncomfortable don't appeal to your flesh. I just know that it's God's will. And you know, he's married, but God showed me he's my man. No. <laughs> we can use the idiot word again, but no. It belongs to someone else. No, but God showed me in a dream. I was on a dock and I was fishing and my cork went under and I pulled it in and there was a fish and he's my fish. Yeah. How does someone come into that level of deception? Because they live according to their emotions. There's no baseline of truth which tells me point blank that person is in covenant with someone else before God Almighty. They can't be mine next Y'all are quiet today. I thought this was real good. But... Through the fear of men and their approval, we can be deceived thinking, what do, what do you want me to wear? What do you want me to think? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to believe? How do you want me to prioritize? What do you want me to overlook? We can be deceived by the fear of men and their approval. Can I just give you one example of that? Some of y'all got some color still left in your hair. There's a lot of us that are whitehead, but just think back to high school and them high school pictures you have. Why would any man with a 46 coat wear dolphin running shorts? Why would he wear his eyes odd with his collar pulled up past his ears? Why would you tease your hair, girlfriend, 16 and a half inches straight up. Use $8 worth of hairspray. You're on food stamps, but you got hairspray? Why would we, why would we, now I'm going somewhere with this. I'm showing you the absurdity of it. Because you were programmed that we will accept you, give you status, if you adopt, someone sat in a room somewhere and said, this is going to be the style that's next year. And we're going to charge you $79 for this shirt. And next year it's in style. And I got, mom, I got to have a goat on my shirt. I got to have a horse. I have a crocodile. I'm like, come in. That's what I tell them. Come in. <laughs> nah, $5. There you go. 
My little girl Isabel told me the other day we had to have a certain kind of water bottle, a camelback. And I'm looking at them like, dear Lord, they're proud of these things, of how much they cost. And so I'm going to get one. I said, oh, here's two for $15. She said, no, no, it has to have writing on it. $35. I said, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why do we have to write? She goes, because everybody's has writing on it. Now, you see us, you see them carried over into the spiritual realm. You better not be conservative. You better not be vocal. You better not have convictions. You better not say something's right or something's wrong. And if you will tease up your hair high enough, we'll accept you. That's the truth. God wants to free you not just from drugs and alcohol, but from the addiction of the approval of people. Do I want people to like me? Yes. But I will not make my decisions based upon their approval. Through apathy and unfaithfulness. Through pride. Oh, how can a Christian be deceived? Through pride. It's hard to find a humble, a deceived humble man. A proud person. I deserve this. I want this now. Proud people. You, it's, it's not an all exclusive and all, uh, it's not the end all definition, but pride means you first. Y'all remember I confessed to you, I was in uh, Kroger one day and, you know, we got 62 registers, one open, six uh, self-serves, two of those are blinking, they're, they're not working. And, you know, I, I just have a gift of trying to be in the one with the shortest line. And one of my kryptonites is uh, ineffectiveness when it could just go so much easier. And, you know, and you see somebody and the scanner's not working. I can't, I just can't get it to work. And there's a part of me that I just, I want a cigarette and I don't even smoke. I'm like, just, just somebody. And so I remember telling the Lord, I said, God, I'm sorry I'm impatient like this. I'm sorry. He said, you're not impatient. This is in my heart. You're not impatient. I'm not. not you're full of pride. You're not upset that the line is moving slow. You're upset that the line John Wood is in is moving slow. And I went, oh. Now, tie this together. This is how prideful people get deceived. Because when they hear what they want to hear, and when they're told they can do what they want to do, and self gets satisfied, they are deceived. There's hardly a Sunday goes by that I don't preach and somebody walks out right in the middle. I want to just say, God bless you. Please write me and tell me what that point was that made you so mad. So mad. Humble people are rarely deceived. And you can be deceived by the judgment of God when God turns you over to yourself, which is the worst state you can be in. Okay, number two. I'll do them quickly. The prudent man is prepared. Prepared for deception through the knowledge of and obedience to the word of God. Some of this is interconnected, but how are we prepared? Through the knowledge of and obedience to the word of God. Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine. This is Luke 6. Listen, and does them. Whoever is governed by the word of God. I will show you who he is like. He's like a man that builds a house and digs deep. 
What does that mean? Every act of obedience is a shovel full of foundation. Every act of obedience. He digs deep and lays his foundation on a rock. And when the floods arise and streams beat vehemently upon his house, that could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth my words and does it not, that man is without a foundation. And when the streams beat vehemently and immediately it falls and the ruin of his house is great. Now, what I'm about to tell you, don't stumble over it. Listen carefully to it. Kind of like a Mandela effect on this verse. We're always told that Christ is the foundation. Yes, he is. But this verse Jesus teaches, he's not saying that he's the foundation, but we know he is the foundation of our faith. He's talking about the person that survives the storms, the opposition, the nuances of life that wipe out believers. He said, the person that builds upon the rock, that rock is obedience to the word of God based upon scripture. Not just Christ. Christ is our foundation. He said, you know how you survive everything? Whatever God says, you do it. And that foundation of obedience, surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and obedience to his word gives you the wherewithal to survive. And I want to tell you as someone that's walked with the Lord now for many, many years, in those storms, you're going to lose some shingles. You're going to lose some shutters. And if the wind starts blowing sideways and the rain comes sideways, some of those windows are going to leak. But your house and your faith does not fall. You'll go through seasons of repair. You'll go through seasons where all your shrubs get blown away and trees get uprooted and your life don't look pretty. But you ain't going nowhere because your life is founded not just in the person of Jesus Christ, but in obedience to his word. And that's an anchor to your soul. Here it is. Whatever he says, I must obey. Period. Now, do we always do that? No. But when we sin, we go right back and confess our sin and come back under the authority of his word. Letter B. The prudent man is prepared for emptiness and lack through the practice of self-denial. Listen, Mark eight thirty four. And when Jesus called the people unto him, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So, are you prepared for deception? Your knowledge of the word of God has to be high and your obedience to the word of God has to be high. If your knowledge is low, you're in trouble. So we must be students of the word of God. But we also have to be prepared not just for deception, but for emptiness and lack. Voids in your life. Lonely periods in your life. Financial difficulty. Relational difficulty. Any type of uh, emptiness and lack. Self-denial prepares you for that because you are already accustomed to not getting your way. That's the importance of fasting. Fasting is not about eating a sandwich. Fasting is about telling your body, you are not my God. And when every waking thought is a cheeseburger, you're on day three. They told me, said, oh, after day three, you won't be hungry. No, I was hallucinating. <laughs> I smell food on people after day three. They walk by me, I'm, barbecue. I, I know it right when they walk by me. 
And that made me lose my place. Hold on, where am I at? But when you practice self-denial and you're hungry and you're hungry, you tell yourself, no, no. When Jesus taught on fasting, it was not to make you holier alone. Yes, there's a spiritual drawing close, but it teaches you that I cannot have my way and be okay. Not have my prayer answered yet and be okay. Navigate hunger pains, hungry for companionship, hungry for a financial break, hungry for a breakthrough. And in that meanwhile, by coming after him, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself. Always be conscious of the law of first mention. If you're going to come after me, you got to learn to deny yourself. Pick up your cross, which is God's will for your life. That's what the cross symbolizes. Now, God's will for Jesus was his cross. It was an instrument of torture that produced glory. God's will for your life, listen, is never comfortable for your flesh in process. But it turns into glory. So when you place God's will on your life, it is heavy to your flesh. What I wanted to do, where I wanted to live, where I wanted to work, but God has the final say. One of the greatest things you can do to prepare yourself is deny yourself and teach yourself you don't always get what you want. When I was a, a brand new believer, this may seem silly to you, but fasting was hard. It was hard because I was used to, if, I'm not trying to be crass, but if I wanted to drink something, I drank it. If I wanted to sleep with someone and they were willing, you just, whatever your body wanted, you just did it. And so when I went cold turkey into fasting, I, I saw dead relatives up, you know, I was like, Uncle Earl, Uncle Earl, I thought I was leaving this world, you know. Uh, <laughs> when you deny yourself, there's, there's a strength and capacity that comes. And I would, I started out where fasting was uh, very altering. I did small things. Girls, you won't understand. Well, yeah, y'all might. Y'all, when girls crave stuff, it's always small. Like, I just want a dove mini bar. I just want a little, I just want a dove. Guys are like, I want a bucket of chicken, you know? <laughs> don't, don't give me nothing on a toothpick, baby. No, you know, guys want stuff, you know? And I, would, I, I learned that this was one, I, I realized how addicted I was to my pleasure. And this is one, I'll just share it, it helped me. And food's always good, you know, it's all preachers get to do, that's why we're so big. Uh, <laughs> preach, you know, we don't get to do anything else. Uh, but I would, if I crave something, guys, you know, there's a difference between that would be good and craving something. Like if you wake up thinking ribs, just you wake up going, mm, I'm getting some today. Baby back, but you're getting in the car. Baby back, baby back, baby back. You, you're ready to go. And you've thought about it all day. You didn't call your wife. It's your anniversary, but you're thinking about ribs. Ribs are on your mind. If in that moment, I'm just giving you a practical thing that I do. When it's time to eat, I would eat like uh, a Trisket. Or a, you need a biscuit or something, you know, just something, a, a Ritz cracker. My flesh, <laughs> what mean is this? <laughs> you know, it's just like a, oh, that's, that's not ribs. It's not even good. 
And that denial teaches me that I can be miserable and be okay. Now, this ain't a shouting sermon, but I'm giving you life stuff here. You're prepared for lack and loss by self-denial. And you say, that's okay. I'm used to telling my body no. Now, having said that, you can take all of your requests to the Lord Jesus. And whatever he wants you to have, you have it. But if you can't learn to navigate voids and transitions, you're going you're gonna to be prime candidate to be deceived or taken over. Prepared for spiritual drought and famine by our reservoir, our supply in Christ. John 6, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, and he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Listen to this portion. I know I'm going quickly. I'm trying to get it all in here. Psalms 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law, the word of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And this man, which man? The man that is in God's word and thinks upon it day and night. This man shall be like a tree planted by rivers. Not a river. Rivers of living water. And he brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf does not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. What is it saying? Have you ever hit a spiritual famine where you can't feel God? You can't, the word seems closed, heaven seems walled off. How do you, how do we navigate those people? As, well, I guess God's done with me. No, we, we handle those by our reservoir, our history, that our, our roots are planted, planted by rivers of living water. And if no rain is falling, I tap into my yesterday with God. It, 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 the tentacles go out into streams, other rivers of God's faithfulness, rivers of provision, rivers of, 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 of special supply. My roots go into Him. We benefit from the church, but our roots are not in the church. Our roots are in Him. Develop a strong root system. Let your roots go down deep into the person of Jesus Christ. The prudent man is prepared for alienation, rejection, and opposition by his relationship with Christ. His new identity and his relationship with Christ. How are you going to handle alienation, rejection, and opposition? Most people handle it by silence. The quieter I am, I can get in under the wire and at least escape, escape the brunt of the opposition. I think that's going to be the test in the days to come. We don't look for a fight. But we stand proud and tall for Jesus Christ. And we open our mouth when necessary. Hebrews 13, 12 says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate outside the camp. Let us go therefore unto him outside the camp, Bearing his reproach. How do we handle 
them turning away from us, calling us names, identifying us. You know, I, supposedly I am a bigot. I am a racist. I'm a Pharisee. I'm all these things because of my stand and my faith. People that don't, never met me. And how do, I, how do you handle that? Because no one wants to be despised. I handle it by picturing my Christ walk outside the camp with barely his private parts covered with a cross setting upon an open back that was split like ribbons. And he went outside the camp bearing my reproach, taking my sins away. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, the joy of bringing me back to him. And when I think of my identity in him and my union with him, I said, if you died for me, I can live for you. And I go outside to come, say what you want. I would rather be ridiculed and mocked than for someone not to be sure which side I stood on. And don't you group me, don't you group me as primarily uh, Republican or categorize me by a denomination or an affiliation. You group me with the Son of God, Jesus Christ the Lord. And whatever side truth falls on, I can associate there. If you can't be unliked on Facebook, you're going to struggle when it costs you everything. I mean, here's, here's another example. Michael has been a lifelong friend of mine, what, 25 years now? I know that there's nothing he wouldn't do for me. I feel the same way. If I passed away, I would trust him and Erica with my babies. I'm, so I'm, I'm giving you a setup here. You could say the same for James. Nothing but a good man. But you, in whatever company, in my presence or not, and I know this is crass, I'm trying to give you things that touch your emotions so you'll see. If either of you were to ever say that my wife was a whore, our relationship immediately and forever changes. Don't tell me about our history shared. That is my wife. And that person that comes against her or says that she is this or that she does this or they defame or devalue her. I separate from you, not because I'm better than you, but because you crossed the line of the most important person in my world. Okay. There's the line of distinction between Christianity. You can say all you want about me, but don't you dare say that about my Savior. Don't you, no, you draw a picture of him soaking in a, a vial of urine and say that's art. You tell me that he was a homosexual or that he was an adulterer with many illegitimate children. I draw the line of you rewriting history. That is my Savior. That is my Lord. And you will not speak of him that way in my presence. That's for any of us. I want Mike to like me. And I want James to. But you can't do wrong by my wife or babies. Same with our Lord. Letter E. Brooke, if you would come, please. We're prepared for the storms of life by our anchor. I want you to turn in your Bibles. Guys, if you can put this on the screen, it's not a familiar verse. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17. 
I talked about your roots in Christ during spiritual drought, but now I want to talk to you about an anchor during storms. Hebrews 6, 17. Are you there? I want you to look in your Bible. Are you there? Guys, if you can pull it up, that'd be great. Hebrews 6, 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto you the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it with an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Our hope of being our redemption coming full circle and being brought into heaven. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus. How do you handle the storms of life? Willpower? No. Going and opening a God's promise book and claiming the exact promises? No. We, we are to believe the word. My hope in Christ, I want you to get a visual picture of this. When ships anchor, they anchor down. When Christians anchor, they anchor up. And my anchor, Christ, went in behind the veil sat down at the right hand of God, my anchor is around the throne of God. Do you see that? An anchor of hope. If the wind blows so hard that my feet come up off the ground and I am, uh, vertical this way, horizontal, and my feet are off the ground and I'm barely holding on, the throne does not move. So when the wind dissipates and slacks down, I land back. It cannot be moved. It cannot be moved. Where is your hope? In Jesus. Where is Jesus? I'm asking you. Seated at the right hand of God. Lance, we're anchored upward. Sometimes... You may think this is silly. I act out little things at home. Not, not often, but I'll act out a scripture. And I'll say, I remember during the dark years doing this. I said, Lord, you still there? And I, it's like you'd feel a... Yeah. And I don't care how hard I pulled. I don't care how high the winds the anchor holds the anchor is not in the earth the anchor is not Jerusalem the anchor is attached to the throne of God very quickly some of you are going to face loss in the days to come if Jesus tarries it may cost us our jobs it may cost us our homes if Jesus tarries all over the world it does. How are you able to navigate in the moment the losing of everything that you've worked for? Here it is. By absolute surrender today. Here's what Paul said. Everything that was counted gain to me, I counted loss for Christ. 
Yea, doubtless I count all things as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of my Lord Jesus Christ, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. What did he say? I counted them loss, so when it came time to lose them, I'd already gave them up. You don't want to wait in the moment. I'm being as honest with you as I know how to be today. Jeremiah, I stand before the Lord when no one's around. I said, I give you my wife and my babies. They're yours. I will not turn on you. I don't care what it costs. And if we lose our home, if we lose our job, if, if daddy gets put in jail for preaching the gospel, whatever. And I'm not sounding like a martyr. There's no martyr. I just want you to know, Lord, as a man, my greatest yearning is to provide for my family. And any man that does not yearn to provide for his family, you're, something's wrong with you. God wired us to be that way. I want my babies to have. They don't have to have luxury, but I want them to have everything they need for life. But it may cost that. How can I navigate that when it comes? By giving it to him now. My house is yours, Lord. My, what little I've got in retirement is yours. It's all yours. It's yours. Paul said, I count it for loss and whom I've suffered the loss of all things. Are you prepared for paying the cost of following Jesus Christ? And finally, the prudent man is prepared for persecution. That can be rejection, alienation, mockery, theft, all of these things, the loss of those things. By keeping your eyes on heaven. Listen to this verse. I wanted to close with this. Matthew 5. This is Jesus speaking. So blessed are you, Tom. Blessed are you, Wade, when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Not for being weird, but for being righteous. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad but because of that persecution, your reward is going to be great in heaven. How do I prepare for public and private mockery and slander and ridicule? Because I see the court stenographer, heaven stenographer saying, they said it again, they said it again, they said it again, they said it again. And when I get to heaven, all the rejection, they said, John, your reward is great. How many of you honestly rejoice today when they say all manner of evil against you? It's not because you don't love the Lord. It's because you don't believe that scripture. I just There's another one. There's another little bit of glitter on whatever. Another little bit of... It's not for reward. It's for him to see that we did it. We endured it. We were it for him. And him say, John, you did this for me with joy. Lord, you knew I wasn't much when you saved me. You knew I was uneducated, inarticulate, and an orphan. And you gave me a place on your team. I get to wear your hat and your jersey and play ball. It's the least I could do. My reasonable service. I want Christ Chapel to be known by their conviction, 
They're unashamed, unapologetic. It doesn't have to be loud, but don't test them. They'll tell you where they stand and who Christ is. And that we as a church, the Lord won't ever look down and think that he created us in vain. But he'll say, they love me. They love me. And after all, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Pastor Wade, would you come? Amen. Are you prepared? I mean, I think that's the the tone, right? Not just prepared for the evil of this world, but prepared for the good things of God. Amen. That he doesn't leave us as orphans. He doesn't ask us to walk these things alone, but he's there with us. He's holding us as the anchor holds. So I want to pray for us. And then um, as you leave, there'll be some guys by the back with baskets, if not up here as well. Um, for your offering. Please don't forget to do that. I want to give you that opportunity. Uh, and as well, we have a business meeting after the service tonight. We'll be over this morning. It'll be right over here. It's, they're usually really fast. So if you want to um, stay, it's usually about 10, 15 minutes. Uh, also tonight at six o'clock, we're going to meet up in the grill. We're going to rewind this, dissect through this. We're going to talk to your questions and the things you want to talk about this. Um, we'll also be on live at Facebook if you want to go there. Um, six o'clock tonight. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you would not only prepare the way for us through your son, that you would provide everything we need in righteousness and in right living. God, that you would give us everything for a life of godliness, including the knowledge to plan for what's to come. So thank you that you would speak that into our hearts today, God, that our spirits would be prepared and ready. God, that we would be steadfast and sure in our minds and in our hearts and in our resolve that we're going to follow you no matter what may come. And God, thank you for making that resolute in our hearts tonight, this morning. God, would you do that as we pray and go from this place? In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. Thank you, church.